Memphis, 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 what up, Grizz Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Grizz 901. I am your host, Daniel Greer, and today's episode, as we look forward to the playoffs, I figured we would bring somebody on who is an OG member of the Grizzlies media. He is a father of three, husband to one, but most importantly, he is the high chief of Grizzly Bear Blues. He is Joe <laughs> Mullinax. What's up? I'm doing okay, man. Uh, another year doing this. I think this is year five for me as the site manager. I've been covering the team since 2013, so I'm almost a decade in. Uh, I- I'm pretty old for blogger years. It's a long time to be in my mom's basement, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's been a fun ride, and obviously the Grizzlies uh, are making it super fun this year uh, in terms of what they've been able to accomplish. No one saw them doing this. Right. Um, you know, it, it makes it all the more special. Those grit and grind teams, I've written about this before. There were expectations after that that first run with Zach uh, yeah. and the team beating the Spurs. Th- there were no expectations of this, so that makes it all the more special. Yeah, those seasons where the Grizzlies just either aren't good or the mm-hmm. expect- expectations are so high that you really can't enjoy yourself. Right. That That really is so important to look at this and see that no matter what, Whatever happens at the end of this year, whether the Grizzlies get knocked out in the first first round of the playoffs, which we it would all suck completely. Like let's just sure. be honest. But let's say they just make it to the second round or even to the the conference finals. Whatever they do, it really is house money. But it's also in the end, it's really just one of the best seasons, if not the most fun season we've ever had as Grizzlies fans and media members, writers, bloggers, whatever we are. I think it's one of the most fun uh, seasons we've ever we'll see again. I think you put it really well there. It's definitely the most fun season that we've ever had. Um, Having covered the team as long as I have. And, you know, I became a Grizzlies fan in 2011 with that Zach Randolph super Zebo run. So it's hard for me to put this group in front of grit and grind. It just is. Uh, But obviously statistically, there's a lot of arguments that can be made that this is the best team in Grizzlies history. I will, I will concede that they're the most fun. Because even during the peak grit and grind years, you know, winning 84 to 79 was not fun to everybody. Um, I enjoyed it because I'm a football right. coach and I, I was raised and taught basketball being a contact sport. That's one of the reasons I love grit and grind so much, the physicality that they played with. Um, this is completely different from that era and it's much more fun for the masses. Yeah. Um, not everybody's sadistic like me and likes watching people you know, beat the crap out of each other uh, in the block. Um, but I, I do think that you put it well there. That's certainly the most fun team. And I hope that people are able to keep that perspective of it's not necessarily the, you know, the, the year for them to win a championship. That window is just opening. Right. Hopefully that process is understood. And if they do get beat, I know we'll talk a little bit later on about uh, potential matchups. If they draw the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard somehow is back, and Paul George is back, and that's the best seven seed in the history of the Western Conference. Right. I, I think we need to keep some perspective. 
but at the same time, I think I said on Twitter the other day, this team could lose in the first round. This team could make the NBA finals. I think all outcomes were on the table and that makes this even more exciting because you really can't predict what they're going to do. Every time they've been predicted to do something, they've overachieved. And, you know, eventually you have to stop betting against them. Yeah. Yeah. If you're betting against the Grizzlies, you're losing money. I promise you that because they've been one of the more covering machines, but also one of the most fun teams, as we said earlier. Uh, Another thing that me and you both enjoy, as well as the city of Memphis, a lot of the OGs of Memphis know that Memphis is more than just basketball. It's wrestling. And something we enjoy was WrestleMania this weekend. So I had to ask you one simple question. What was your favorite moment? Because I have so many and I couldn't even think of my favorite moment. So, but what's your favorite moment? For the sake of clarity, do you mean favorite moment of all time or the no, favorite moment of this past week? This past weekend. It's Cody Rhodes. Uh, Cody uh-huh. Rhodes coming back. I think that was my favorite. And there were a lot. Yeah. Um, the nostalgia in me, you know, whatever the glass breaks and it's stone cold. Yeah. Uh, I turned 14 again. Um, <laughs> I think that Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch had a phenomenal match, probably the match of the weekend. So credit to them. One of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. Women, yeah. men, doesn't matter. Uh, it was just an excellent wrestling match. Uh, but I think it's Cody Rhodes, you know, the story of Cody and uh, leaving after being stardust and kind of betting on himself and, and being able to prove that he could be a main event talent. Obviously, the follow through matters a lot. And that's yeah. something that we'll have to watch in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, but he had an amazing return. I think he and Rollins had probably the second best match of the weekend uh, behind Bel Air and Lynch. And, you know, the fact that it was so tightly under wraps, you know, was a poorly kept secret in the Internet wrestling community. Uh, But we have to remember that's a very tiny bubble. You know, the people in the arena were pretty shocked. You could tell. And, um, you know, it was just a really fun WrestleMania moment. You know, those of us that still like WWE, we, we watch it for the entertainment value. And I think that that match was the perfect combination of entertainment and wrestling uh, ability. You know, that, that was my favorite part of WWE is the combination of the two. Because yeah. you have AEW that's largely wrestling. And, you know, th- there's a place for that, obviously. But I still like the storytelling combined with the actual in-ring work. Right. And Rollins versus Rhodes was the best example of that this weekend for me. Yeah, no, I, I love that part. Um, I had to probably just in the end, Pat McAfee, the whole Stone Cold still. All of that being all in one was probably my more favorite time because that is wrestling entertainment in, in a nutshell. But uh, but bringing us back to 14, let me just go ahead and uh, piggyback off that question that you just said or just had. Who is your Mount Rushmore for you personally for wrestling? And then I got a follow up to that one after that. That's tough. Um, uh I think that if you're including all of wrestling, Ric Flair has to be on it. Uh, if it's just WWE, it's obviously different because Flair's career in WWE was great, but not Mount Rushmore worthy. I'll stick with WWE. Okay. Um, I think I, you have to go Hogan. You have to go Austin. You have to go Rock. And then after those three, you know, I think you could go in a variety of directions. Shawn Michaels being a homegrown talent, Undertaker, obviously. Uh, being a homegrown talent, you know, I, I could probably hear arguments for either one of those guys being the fourth. I'd go Undertaker personally, yeah. but I think it has to be Hogan, Rock, Austin, 
and then one of Undertaker or Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Uh, that that if it's WWE specific. Yeah. If it's all of wrestling, I think you take one of those guys out and you put Flair in because yeah. he was so influential in those early years. Yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And honestly, you can go so many different ways, and that's what makes it so fun. Uh, so let's spin it back to the Grizzlies. I know that this is going to be your Mount Rushmore of Grizzlies. I don't need the Internet's Mount Rushmore of the Grizzlies. I don't need any of that. I need Joe's Mount Rushmore of Grizzlies all time. It starts with Marcus All for me. Uh, Marcus All is my all-time favorite Grizzly. Zach Randolph's number two. Um, I really like Zach. Really like uh, obviously all that he did for the city. Big fan of him for that. Mike Conley's number three. Um, big fan of Mike Conley, of course, and everything he did. My fourth. Uh, see, this is where it's hard. You know, lots of people would assume it, it would be like a John Morant or something like that, but he's just still so young, and you know. I, I struggle with, with putting somebody on there that, that is still so new. Um, you know, Tony Allen would kind of be cheating. <sighs> I, I guess it would, man, the, the fourth one is tough. I'm going to cop out and say John Moran. I, I don't know anybody that is more talented, obviously, in the history of the organization. He's only been there for three years now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it seems a little early to put him on that. But especially his ascent this year has led to the Grizzlies achieving heights, the all-access from ESPN, uh, multiple national media interviews, and obviously the all-star game starter. Uh, the Grizzlies have had some of those things before, but never to this extent, never all within one season. Uh, you probably got to tip your cap to Morant, even though it's still so early. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd probably be my four. Zach, Mark, Mike, and then John Morant, number four. Yeah, I think you do have to include John. I was I was curious whether or not you would because yes, he's only been here for you know what two three seasons now, right? Um, it, it's one of those ascensions that once he gets paid in this off season, and we know he's under contract. And honestly, in the NBA, does that even matter really? But but he's here in Memphis in the local market. He should be here the extent of his contract as long as pretty much he wants to be here. I think that's so important because of what he's already done in those those such few years. I think it's very important to actually say that he is on that Mount Rushmore already from what he's brought in. Uh, but let's go ahead and transition to the playoffs because I think that's probably the most important thing for Grizzlies fans right now is they want to know more about the playoffs because I think it's an uneasy feeling, but it's also like this underwhelming, like not underwhelming, but it, it's just something that is just blowing up inside that you're like, hey, let's just hurry up and get to the playoffs because it's kind of it's it's making me nervous, right? You you want to get there and you see these other teams that are getting better and literally the Timberwolves and the Clippers who are potentially in the seven eight, they're playing for their lives, like they're playing to get in, and at this point they're in, but they're obviously heading down the stretch of playing really good basketball where the Grizzlies are kind of taking a step back, so. Let's dig into the playoffs a little bit more. So my, fa my main question is, is who is the most important player for you into these playoffs? Because it can, you can go in numerous directions with Ja, Bain, Melton, all these players because they play a big pivotal role. But who is the most important player for you? Jaron Jackson Jr. And I don't think it's particularly close. Um, John ja Morant's going to be John ja Morant. John ja Morant's right. going to be a high usage guard. He's going to score 30 plus points a game. He's going to facilitate offense. 
He's going to be flawed defensively, but be good for a couple of steals here or there. That's going to be Ja. His offensive maestro skills are going to make up for his defensive lacks. Uh, There is no world where the Grizzlies are better without Ja Morant in the playoffs. When you need a bucket and you got your lead guard being one of the very best in the NBA, that can do wonders for you. Just ask the Dallas Mavericks uh, with Luka Doncic or just ask the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry. The Grizzlies have somebody that's on that on that tier now in Ja Moran. That's fun to be able to say. Um, but Ja is never going to be the best two-way player on this team. He could be the best player on the team yeah. without being the best two-way player. The best two-way player is Jared Jackson Jr. And he is someone who probably should be defensive player of the year. He's probably not going to win it uh, for a variety of reasons. But I do think that he is someone that they need to have a defensive impact the way that he's capable of without getting into foul trouble. It's going to be massively important, especially considering the matchup. If it's the Clippers, it might be a little bit easier for him because the Clippers don't really have a dominant big that he's going to be asked to stick. Uh, If it's the Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns is playing some of the best basketball of his career. He's probably a top 10 MVP candidate himself. I worry about that two seven matchup because either way it's going to be challenging for Memphis, right? If it's the Clippers, you know, Paul George is going to be a tough guard for Dylan Brooks. If it's the Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns is going to be a tough guard for Jaron Jackson Jr. Who's more important to their defense? It's Jaron Jackson Jr. So I, I really am kind of intrigued by how the play-in plays out. One of the positives here is nobody knows the play-in better than the Memphis Grizzlies, right? Yeah. They're the only team in the history of the play-in tournament to actually win the play-in tournament that wasn't supposed to be in the playoffs. Um, you know, they were the nine seed last year, if I recall. And, you know, in a normal year before the play in tournament, the Grizzlies wouldn't have made the playoffs at all. So they're the first team to actually take full advantage of that. They've been in the play in both of the first two years. So I'm not as concerned about them overlooking the play in because of that unique experience. Yeah. I'm more so concerned about, you know, a young team like them having this much time off. Like they played Friday. They aren't playing again until Tuesday night against Utah. They obviously have a few games to end the season, but then they're not going to play again until the earliest Saturday, the 16th, I believe. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have almost a full week. And you know, they're giving guys intermittent days off. Hopefully we see some starters this week and it's not just a full two weeks. I worry about rust with this young team and getting out of rhythm. Um, But it's, I'm more concerned about that right now than I am who they play. Because either way, there's a reason the Grizzlies are the two and the other team's going to be the seven. Memphis is a better basketball team. But the thing about being so young is rhythm is a key part of all of that, at least in my opinion. Uh, yeah, and how, with, they, how they balance that's going to be fascinating. Yeah, and not having jaw for that extended period of time, but also now you're saying the rest of the guys might have some time off. And I know a lot of these young you know, players will have a chance to excel, such as they did in the Suns game. That's all great, but realistically – you're eight deep for the most part in the playoffs. So there's only so many players playing and majority of them are not playing right now in this, in this uh, stretch of games. And so I am worried about that probably more than anything else, but also getting two teams that are fighting to get in to make sure that they are playing in the playoffs. That's always tough because it, they're, they have to win a game to get into the playoffs at this point. And that's called momentum. So I think that's a big key. I think that, and again, nobody's asking me. Taylor Jenkins isn't giving me a call saying, Joe, how would you handle this? Um, everybody that's healthy should play on Tuesday. 
in my opinion, should play against the Jazz. They've had four days off. Um, everybody that can go should go. And I think the same should be said of Friday because they were uh, Thursday, excuse me, Thursday. because they will have had uh, a couple days off. Obviously, the back to back at home to end the season, you know, maybe you play jaw on Saturday and you sit everybody on Sunday. I think New Orleans is the Saturday night game. So it makes sense for the for the uh, for the sake of their draft pick that they yeah. probably will not get from the Lakers now. Um, it makes sense for them to be full strength against Nola. And again, that probably makes sense for Jaws one game uh, before the end of the season. Um, that, that's how I would do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's how they're going to do it. I'm hopeful everybody plays Tuesday night that can uh, because of all the time they've had off. But I see them giving guys off Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, they'll be sporadic with it. I don't think they'll do a wholesale one except for maybe Sunday. Um, but you know, I, I worry about that rhythm. We have to remember they're one of the youngest teams in the NBA. Yeah. We can't treat a group of guys as veterans when there's only, you know, two guys that are true NBA veterans and that's Kyle Anderson and Steven Adams. And they're 28 years old. Yeah. Um, we can't act like they have all this playoff experience. They've been in one playoff series and they lost it in five games to the Utah jazz. Uh, I just want to make sure that we keep perspective on who they are. Um, you know, I've written about it multiple times over at grizzlybearblues.com. You know, th- this front office has done nothing to act like an actual contending team, which makes the fact that they are a contending team all the more awesome uh, credit to the players and coaches. And I'm not mad at the front office. That's not a knock at them. They're, they're, everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing in this process. And it's just accelerating so quickly. You know, I, I don't want you mentioned earlier in the, in the show that it wouldn't be a disappointment. I'm, I think that if they lose in the first round, a vast majority of the fan base will be disappointed. Right. I, I won't be disappointed because I will see it as an opportunity to do what I've been asking for them to do for about a year, which is go get a, another guy, another dude, yeah. another star, potentially. Um, it'll obviously expose weaknesses that they'll have to fix. And, you know, I, I'm kind of sick in the head in my fandom. You know, I, I, I see that as an opportunity, even if they do lose. Obviously, I don't want them to. Right. It just adds to the to the it's all gravy from here on out. It's icing on the cake. Um, If they lose, they have everything they need to go get somebody that can help them get out of this postseason rut that they might be entering. Um, If they win, well, that's awesome. And, you know, the team, it's very possible they have their three stars already in jaw, Jared and Bain. And now you start going, get more complimentary pieces around those guys. And you you have a Golden State-esque dynasty on your hands. Um, it's going to be an interesting kind of research project in a way into what they are. Uh, but we just have to keep that age and lack of experience in perspective, both now and as the playoffs enter. Yeah, he is Joe Mullinax with the Grizzly Bear Blues. We're here to talk with him. Just given a, a few more questions here, and we'll get through these. Taylor Jenkins, as you talked about, uh, with maybe the team and the front office and how they built, a lot of people – not me. I am one of the biggest Taylor Jenkins fans, and I think you are as well. In a sense, a lot of people were out on Taylor Jenkins over the last few years, right? They were they were having issues with you know certain rotations, him playing certain players, and I think that was a, I guess, a legit concern. But it's also a a thing that you also have to look at is sometimes a lot of those rotations and people that you're playing are from the front office as well. And so I don't always put that professionally on a coach unless it's just completely just crazy, right? 
But I want to ask the questions. Is there anything that you've seen growth or change out of Taylor Jenkins over the past this past season that just sticks out to you the most? Well, in post-game press conferences, you know, whether it's me or, or Parker Fleming, who does a great job for us over at GBB uh, covering the games in person, he's our game day editor, our beat reporter, if you will. Um, <laughs> you know, you hear these questions being asked in media and the players talk about how the, the Rolodex of plays has expanded, mm. um, the out-of-timeout stuff, uh, the management of the players, you know, all of that has kind of grown this year. And you see that, especially with Desmond Bain, both Parker and Sean Coleman, who does a great job with the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast, he and DeMichael Cole uh, do, do really well with that. Um, I think that in their pieces, they outline just how amazing Bain's development has been. And you have to give a lot of credit to the freedom and the structure within that freedom, ironically, that Jenkins gives his players. Mm-hmm. And the players say that all the time, giving credit to Jenkins. But I think something that gets undersold when it comes to Jenkins is how much this young team has bought into him personally. And that's, that's relationship building, you know, and, and as a coach myself uh, on a smaller scale, I know that that's where good teams become great. Um, that that's a really important thing to understand is when the players believe in you, uh, they will certainly have the hope and control of their emotions and of their play. And they're going to be willing to do more for you if they believe in what you're trying to do and believe in you as a person than if they don't. And that's true at the professional level, just like it is at, you know, high school, college, peewee, you know, that that's coaching and that's teaching, to be honest with you. And, and call coaching is, is teaching a sport. So I think, you know, during the George Floyd murder stuff in the summer of 2020, all the, you know, activist things that he did, the conversations that he had, uh, the way that he navigated the bubble and all the, you know, the craziness of these last couple of years, that all earns credit over time. And I think these players legitimately believe that he doesn't just care about them as basketball players that are going to help him win games. He cares about them as people and he wants to see them develop, not just as athletes, but as young men and as, you know, you know, cause we got, again, their age is remarkable. People say they act like an AAU team or a high school team. It's cause five years ago, a lot of them were in high <laughs> school. Were. So I, I do think that that's important to keep in mind yeah. is he's been managing a lot of young personalities, a lot of people who have chips on their shoulder. There's a competitive environment there that they're trying to cultivate that can go sideways pretty quick. And he deserves a lot of credit. So if Monty Williams didn't exist, because I think Monty uh, deserves coach of the year from the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I'm not going to be mad at all if he wins it. Um, Taylor Jenkins is second place. Yeah. Uh, and Taylor Jenkins should be a finalist, to say the least. Yeah. And if Jenkins wins, I won't be surprised. But yeah. I, I think it's Monty Williams' year. He deserves it. The Suns are a juggernaut. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Taylor Jenkins has done a top three job these last couple of years, but especially this season, of course. And the, the expansion of his plays have been talked about a lot. The way the offense has expanded, the defense obviously remains steady uh, or has improved drastically since it was so weak early in the year. He deserves credit for the scheme stuff. I think the relationships he's built with these players gets undersold, and that's a major reason for their success. You can't have a culture without people buying into it, yeah. and that starts with your coaching staff. Yeah, I agree. And the culture is so big because as you talked about being a coach, it's really creating that culture 
that way, when someone walks in, they understand what type of team they are, they find their role and they fit in. That's really the most important thing with any coach is to make sure that you are helping keep everybody happy, healthy, and rowing the boat in the same direction. And a lot of times you can have your assistant coaches, they can be the ones that are the ones strategizing behind the scenes and helping you with the plays and, and different things. And so I think that goes unnoticed more than anyone else really realizes because you are the CEO of a franchise. You're the CEO of the team. And I think that is the most important thing. Um, let's go ahead and hit on last two things. And uh, these can be very quick. We don't know exactly who the Grizzlies are playing yet, but if there's a matchup to watch in, in both games, but one of the two, with the T-Wolves and the Clippers, we'll hit on both of them real quick. Any matchup you're looking forward to or looking that just stands out the most to you for either the Clippers and or the T-Wolves? For the Timberwolves, the way they defend John Morant, uh, they have a large enough sample size now where we can say with confidence that Josh struggles with the Timberwolves. Yeah. Um, so Morant, being a student of the game that he is, learning how to battle that, beat those blitzes, uh, deal with the length of an Anthony Edwards, who obviously has tremendous athleticism, one of the few guys in the NBA perhaps comparable to Morant in, in terms of athletic ability. Plus, he has the size advantage on jaw. So that makes things difficult when it's not Edwards on him. It's blitzing coverages, Patrick Beverly, other guys coming up and hedging, not allowing him to get to his spots. You know, jaw has to find ways to overcome that or else it's going to be difficult for the Grizzlies. Um, you know, that series will be more complicated than it should be. A lot of it's going to be centered around jaw. And then from the Clippers perspective, I mentioned it earlier, you know, the, the specter of Kawhi Leonard looms, you know, right. the rumors that, you know, Paul George wouldn't have rushed back if Kawhi wasn't far behind. Mm -hmm. And if Kawhi Leonard is somebody that's going to make an appearance in these playoffs, you know, that that makes that series all the more complicated for Memphis if they have their two superstar players, regardless of how much rust Kawhi may have. Um, defensively, that'll come back pretty quick, and that could impact the Grizzlies' offense, especially in the half court, which I know you know this, ha has been one of their weaknesses the entire season is half-court offense. It's one of the reasons Steven Adams is so important to what they do. Uh, those offensive rebounds that get generated helps negate that some. So I, I think that for the Timberwolves, it's how Morant responds uh, defensively. And for the Clippers, it really comes down to if Kawhi's there. If Kawhi's yeah. not there, the Grizzlies should win that series in five or six games. If Kawhi is there, you know, all bets are off. It could right. go seven. And depending on how well Kawhi can play offensively, you know, a 7-2 upset against the Clippers that aren't really a seven seed. You know, Norm Powell, I think, they're saying could be back too. Yeah. The Clippers are going to be a nightmare next year in yep. the Western Conference. And if that becomes a preview with the 2022 postseason – of what the 2022-2023 season is going to be, you know, the Grizzlies could be the first victim of that potentially. Yeah. There's a lot of unknown, but Joe, what isn't unknown is that you are awesome and that you're really good. And the Grizzly Bear Blues is always top notch. Give a little shout out to what's going on and anything big upcoming. Uh, it's playoff time, right? So everything's amped up. Joe, give us what you got. Sure. Uh, our staff does a phenomenal job. I mentioned Parker Fleming and Sean Coleman earlier. Uh, Brandon Hay Abraham does an amazing job with the Memphis Hustle. They just wrapped up their season. Uh, Brandon's been covering them for five years now. Brendan Smart is covering Grizz Gaming. He does a great job for us doing that. He's kind of our beat writer uh, covering the uh, NBA 2K League, the Grizzlies team for that. 
nobody covers the Grizzlies organization like Grizzly Bear Blues. And that's not bragging. That's fact. Uh, I'm very proud of the staff we've built. We have several new writers who have done a tremendous job in game coverage. Andrew Katz, Matthew Gill, uh, Bryson Wright um, have all done really well for us. Owen Hewitt recently wrote about his favorite player, John Conchar. Uh, so he'll get back into the swing um, as the playoffs approach. You know, we'll have all sorts of playoff previews. We'll have podcasts. Uh, my own show, GBB Live, will be back next week. Uh, th- there's lots of things that are going on over at GBB that over the span of my five years as site manager, my goal has been to become and build the best free option for Memphis Grizzlies coverage because obviously commercial appeal and daily Memphis and they're buying paywalls. Um, I don't think anybody for free, uh, you know, you deal with some ads over at grizzlybearblues.com, but you can come to us every day and there's two to three articles for you to check out covering the Memphis Grizzlies. Nobody else can say they do that. So I'm proud of what our staff does. Uh, I've been honored to, to kind of drive the ship, um, but we're a team over there. You know, I, I'm, I'm the face or, or the grand tribal chief, as you put it, of GBB. Uh, but I, you know, I have an amazing team that's, uh, that I've been fortunate enough to work with all these years. And I'm looking forward to how they're going to cover the most unpredictable playoff run in Grizzlies history over at grizzlybearblues.com. He is the high chief Joe Mullinax. He is with Grizzly Bear Blues. Joe, I can't thank you enough. It's been so much fun, man. It's been a, it's been a good time. Very insightful. And then this week you're off. Enjoy yourself right before the Grizzlies get turned up. Kind of relax a little bit this week and have a good week, man. I appreciate that. I'll be covering the Jazz game for the site, so not completely off. Uh, but, you know, Parker and Brandon do a great job covering. They're on the ground there in Memphis. I live in Virginia. Uh, so it's a chance for me to stay up a little bit later and, and give them a night off and do some coverage with Zoom. That's one of the positives of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, with all this Zoom coverage stuff, I can help a little bit more with the game coverage. So, um, But yeah, it's, it's a week off from teaching and I'm excited for that. Spend some time with the family, but like you said, kind of get charged up for the playoffs coming up. Yeah, we're excited here at Grizz901. We are getting going. We will have another episode coming out this week, as well as an episode after each playoff game as we go throughout the rest of the year. We are done. Joe, thank you so much. Be nice and tell your friends. <laughs>